This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the healer of body and soul. We ask today, as we think about sickness and suffering, that you would let us do it carefully and correctly, according to your word, and especially with compassion. We ask in your name, amen. Our scripture today from John chapter 9. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. In John chapter 9, Jesus' disciples are struggling with the same question that we either think or ask when we're faced with any suffering whether it's sickness or pain or disability or poverty or crime or disaster, whether it's happening to us personally or to someone on the other side of the world. Why does it happen? Why does the all-powerful, perfectly loving God allow it? And in this case, they met a man who was born with a disability, And they asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, it was really common teaching in this day that personal hardship was caused by personal sin. But they had a problem here. He was born blind. So did this man sin when he was a a baby in the womb? Did his parents commit some terrible sin that God then punished with this curse of blindness from birth? Someone has to be to blame. So they they address Jesus as rabbi, teacher, and they expected a definitive answer. And Jesus gave it. He said, no. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. In other words, His blindness 
was not a consequence of a particular sin in his life or in the lives of his parents. So why does God allow sickness to exist? Why does he sometimes heal and sometimes not? Well, we all know that yes and no are both answers to prayer, and sickness and healing can both be used miraculously by our almighty, all-knowing, and perfectly loving God. Can you tell that this might be a very deep question? In fact, the famous Christian writer C.S. Lewis, he wrote an entire book on what he called the problem of pain. So let's get going. First things first. God is not the source of sickness, evil, or any imperfection. We are. Death and sickness are the result of the sinfulness of the entire human race. Paul wrote, Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And the whole creation was subjected to frustration because of the sins of the whole human race. Bottom line, if there were no sin, there would be no sickness, no death, no disappointments, no imperfection. And then, we have the absolute assurance from the scripture that God is not punishing us with our sicknesses or disabilities because all of the punishments for my sins and yours fell on Jesus. I'm sure you're familiar with these words from the prophet Isaiah. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So seven times, in just three verses, the Lord tells us that our punishment fell on Jesus. So sickness and hardship cannot be punishment from God. So then there has to be a divine, miraculous reason for it. That God allows everything from sickness to suffering to divorce and disabilities and disappointments to remain in our world. Scripture says that evil and sadness in, the, in this world are a call from God for us to look beyond this world. Paul expressed it in 2 Corinthians. He said, We do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. 
for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And then, don't forget that sadness, sickness, poverty, and hardship, whether it's in our own family or our community or in our world, is a God-given opportunity for you and I as God's people to serve as Christ served us. It's an opportunity for you to serve others in their needs and for them in turn also to serve you. That's what Paul wrote to the Galatians. He said, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And I want to give you a challenge here. Next time you're sick and helpless at home with the flu, or so sick you're in the hospital, or disabled and helpless in the nursing home, or in hospice, coming to the end of your life. Be the best possible patient you could be. Not the crabby, whiny one, but someone who knows the truth about sickness and suffering. Someone who actually knows the full picture. And then, Realize that the people serving you are actually doing exactly what Jesus commanded. When he said, truly I tell you, whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Can you imagine what an honor and encouragement you could give to the people who are serving you who are feeding you and clothing you and picking up after you and wiping your butt, if you treated them like someone who was serving you in the most Christ-like way, as if they were serving Jesus himself, what a testimony that would be. And then let's flip the page here. When we see hardships, destruction, and death strike others, it is not the time to say, well, what did they do? And I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not like that. Because Jesus said that every sinner, every single sinner, deserves actually far worse than destruction and death. In Luke 13, some of Jesus' hearers brought him a news report a group of Galileans were slaughtered by the Roman governor Pontius Pilate when they went to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices. Then on top of that, they heard that 18 people died in a tower collapse. Here's how Jesus explained it. He said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Do you think that the tower victims were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? 
I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. We want to blame, like the disciples wanted to do. And even if you don't blame, how many of us want to say, well, I must be better than them because I've never suffered that way. We want to gloat. We want to take our own success or health or good looks or friends or status as the assurance that God must surely love me more than others. And you realize it's just as miraculous when God takes those things that we falsely use to shore up our lives and lovingly knocks them away. Because he wants us to know the real security. He wants us to put our trust in the things that truly matter in Jesus and his life and death for us. And so, and then he love, and, and because of that, he lovingly lets us feel the earthly consequences sometimes of our sins. I get in financial trouble because I misused my credit cards. I suffer from some kind of disability caused by my own promiscuity or abusing my body with alcohol. I receive punishment or a fine because I broke the laws of the state. My family is falling apart because of my own unfaithfulness or my own selfishness. But you realize that even these things, God only allows for our good. Scripture says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All means all, no exceptions. God can use my lousy choices to work good for me. And that's finally God's greatest work, right? His perfect will that we would know the depth of our sin and his salvation in Jesus. So that's why Jesus told the disciples, this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. This healing was the great opportunity for Jesus to dis display his divine power, to speak his word and call the blind man and those around him to faith. In fact, if we read the rest of the chapter, we realize not only was the blind man affected, his neighbors, his friends, even Jesus' enemies ended up debating this miracle ad nauseum. And finally, at the end of the chapter, we hear the blind man confess, Lord, I believe. That's the work of God displayed through hardship. So can you and I look at the hardships in our lives and the lives of others in the same way Jesus saw them? That's exactly what Jesus told us in the scripture. You notice he said, as long as it is day, not just I, but we must do the work of him who sent me. And the work of him who sent me has everything to do with the disciples' first question about the connection between sin and suffering. 
and getting it right. So when Jesus explains to his disciples why the Father sent him and sends them, he says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. You see, that's because at a time of hardship, every one of us is just as blind as Jesus' disciples and tries to place blame for every hardship and sickness. To do the work of Christ who sent us is to speak his truth about all this. To correct ourselves sometimes. To point to Jesus as the real healer. To point to the true source of all imperfection in our world, which is human sin. Remember what we heard last week. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. And suffering is not punishment because we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you realize how much we need to hear that? How often doesn't it happen to you as it does to me that when hardship hits, I say, what did I do to deserve this? Or when one of my sins brings real consequences in my life, Satan, the great accuser, wants to take that beyond consequences to make it into like a life sentence of unforgivable guilt and shame. And Jesus tells you and me that we have the authority to say to any sinner, your sins are forgiven. Now, I hope it hasn't disappointed you. We went all this way in the sermon and we still haven't talked about the physical healing. The fact that Jesus healed a man who had never, ever seen before in his life. That's a miracle, something only God can do. And as we learned last week, it's specifically a sign that is a, a, a sign that Jesus truly is God himself that he truly is the savior of the world. And I always love this testimony from John chapter 3. From a man named Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee and a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus and confessed to him that he could not avoid the convincing proof of Jesus' miracles. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Proof. But you realize Jesus never did a miracle for proof alone? Never. We can't find, there's not a scripture that says, Jesus told his disciples, see that house over there? I'm going to make it levitate and dance. Mm-mm. See that cloud up there? I'm going to turn a chartreuse screen and shape it like an elephant. Nope. You will never find a miracle like that. All of Jesus' miracles involve people. Healing them, feeding them, filling their nets with fish, raising them from the dead. And the Gospels tell us 
that when Jesus saw human suffering, his heart went out to them. He cried for them. He touched them. He stayed up late into the night healing them. But I hate to tell you, Jesus didn't heal everyone. Not every blind man, not every cripple, not everyone who was sick. In fact, the Bible only records 26 specific healing miracles. And only two people raised from the dead. Now, the Bible says clearly God heals. He heals spiritually and physically. But you realize there's only one verse in the Bible that tells us to pray for healing? Just one. James 5. If anyone among, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So please, keep on praying for healing. But realize, only one verse talking about that. There's got to be a hundred more verses than that telling us to care for the sick, to care for the suffering, to care for the lonely and the poor and the widows and the immigrants and the orphans and the prisoners and the homeless. And the sad truth I've had to share with more people in the hospital is, yes, we're going to pray for your healing, but please realize that on this side of heaven, the healing is only temporary. It can be only temporary. And so often, God carries out his work through doctors and nurses and therapists and family and friends and everyone who's caring for you. And then, finally, please realize that Jesus always had the greatest, most loving, most gracious purpose in mind for the blind man and for you and for me. Because the greatest miracle is that we will enjoy the restoration of all things in heaven, including our bodies. This is what we confess week after week. I believe in the resurrection of the body. You and I will not just be disembodied spirits somewhere up in heaven. I'll be me. You, me. You'll be you. We will be better than we could imagine. Because on this side of heaven, we've only known imperfection. Starting from when we were beautiful little babies, we had baby boo-boos. Then we had acne. Then we had broken bones. Then we had stress from work. Then arthritis, gray hair, wrinkles, love handles, sore knees, failing vision and hearing, and the list goes on. But God actually promises you and me a new heaven and a new earth and a new you and a new me. This is what John wrote. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. 
there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And finally, that'll be the perfect miracle, right? Absolute and permanent. Our complete salvation, physical and spiritual. After I preached the first service today, I realized I'd tell, tell you a story. True story about my sister. Uh, Ten years older than me, turned 65, had a massive heart attack. Survived. And she had the perfect opportunity for everyone to blame her and for her to blame herself. She'd been a lifelong smoker, kind of sedentary lifestyle, got a little overweight in her late years but fully recovered. Less than a year later, she was diagnosed with cancer. Had surgery, chemotherapy, and recovered completely. Doing great, had learned so many lessons from this. It was like she had a new life. Then exactly, or almost exactly, three years after her heart attack, one morning she was taken out the trash, slipped on some ice, hit her head, Got to the hospital, doctors couldn't do anything. Three days later, she died of a brain bleed. I thought, what is that? What's the reason there? Who do we blame? And we're right back where the disciples were at the beginning of this text. What caused that? It wasn't my sister, she was taking the trash out. God still allows it for his own good purpose. Judy was healed and healed and then really healed. And finally, that's why the Lord says here, this happens so that the work of God might be displayed. His wonderful, perfect, saving and healing work. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the perfect healer of body and soul. Help us to be your people who pray for the sick and suffering, who serve and care for them in their needs, and who share your healing message of sin and forgiveness and perfect restoration in heaven. Lord, please sustain us with your promises and your hope even in this difficult world. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.